welcome to Mattering in the Music Room. This is a podcast for music educators who are interested in learning more about social-emotional learning and how to implement it in their everyday music classes. Thank you for joining me on this journey because everyone matters in the music room. again. I'm Sarah Ali Panna, and I'm so glad you're joining me for episode two of Mattering in the Music Room. This episode will be about self, self-awareness, and self-management. I will give you a more thorough understanding of what that means, and then give you hands-on tools and ideas to use in your classroom. These will help your students understand their thoughts emotions, and experiences, and how that understanding can lead to positive self-control. If you listened to episode one, you'll remember I mentioned CASEL, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. They define self-awareness as the ability to understand one's emotions, thoughts, and values, and how they influence behavior across contexts. I really liked what Tricia DeFazio and Allison Roser, authors of the book, Social Emotional Learning Starts With Us, had to say about self-awareness. They said, becoming more self-aware helps us to manage our thoughts emotions, and behaviors rather than allowing them to manage us. Intentionally working to become more self-aware helps us to show up in the classroom and the world as the best versions of ourselves. Castle says self-management is the ability to manage one's emotions, thoughts, and behaviors effectively in different situations and to achieve goals and aspirations. This includes the capacities to delay gratification, manage stress, and feel motivation and agency to accomplish personal and collective goals. Trisha and Allison say, beneath every behavior is a need. When we meet that need, rather than focus on the behavior, we begin to address the cause and not just the symptom. Self-awareness lesson ideas. Feelings seem like a great place to start when thinking about tackling self-awareness. As I mentioned in the first podcast episode, I teach younger students, and oftentimes young students aren't able to articulate into words how they are feeling. I love to use books in my classroom. I may or may not have a few too many, but that's a story for another time. One of my favorite books to use to help start the discussion of student feelings is the story, Today I Feel Silly by Jamie Lee Curtis. 
In the story, the main character goes through a lot of different emotions and feelings throughout her day. And I read it very expressively to my students. Afterwards, we talk about the different feelings the main character felt in the story. Then, I take out one of my favorite items I've bought for my classroom to work on recognizing students' feelings. They are Todd Parr's Feeling Flashcards. That's T-O-D-D-P-A-R-R. They are the best $13 I've spent in a really long time. Each card is bright and colorful and super inviting for students. These flashcards help bridge that gap so that students can see and show how they are feeling when they can't put it into words. Each card shows two opposite feelings, one feeling on one side and one on the other. So for instance, happy is on one card and on the back of that card is sad. I'm going to give you a moment to pause the podcast and Google them to take a look. Todd Parr, P-A-R-R, Feelings Flashcards. Aren't they so fun? Now that you've seen what the cards look like, here's an activity I use them for in my classroom. First, I take about five Feelings Flashcards and have the students show me with just facial expressions what that emotion looks like. Then, as a class, we talk about how sometimes we feel big feelings and they don't just take up our faces, but our whole bodies. So I ask my students to show me just right in their music spots with their whole bodies, what that specific feeling looks like. So in a non-locomotor way. Lastly, and this is usually another day, I ask the students to move around the classroom space and show me what the emotion looks like when they move. And I use the same emotions that I used the first day. I don't present new ones, I use the same one. It's important to note that I scaffold this part and intentionally start with just facial expressions, then non-locomotor movement, and then finally locomotor movement. And I also wanna mention again that it's not just one day that I do this, it's more than one class time. Also, I want the students to over-exaggerate these feelings and emotions so that they can recognize all the different ways they might express those emotions depending on the day. After the lesson about feelings, and after the students have a clear understanding of what those feelings are, I start my class with a new welcome song. If you're familiar with Hap Palmer and his song, What Are You Wearing? Well, I adapted it to make it my own and I sing the words, how are you feeling? And it goes a little like this. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? How are you feeling today, today? How are you feeling? How are you feeling? How are you feeling today, today? Then I have the students do a thumbs up check-in with specific feelings. So in Hat Palmer's song with What Are You Wearing, 
he has them stand up if they're wearing a shirt or stand up if they're wearing shoes or socks. But for me, I have them, if you're feeling sad, thumbs up if you're feeling sad, thumbs up if you're feeling excited, thumbs up if you're feeling excited, thumbs up. And I do this to gauge how my students are feeling when they walk into the classroom. Before I do this activity with the students, I make sure that the students take this in a more serious way and that it's not a joke time. And I also mention that you can feel more than one feeling at one time. I use the same feelings that we've learned in the past, the same vocabulary that they understand, but they also need to realize that this is a way for me to check in with them and that I'd like in order to have a safe classroom for them to be honest with me. So it's not a joke time. It's a time for them to be honest with me. And this is their time to just look and show me. They don't need to look around at what their classmates are feeling. This is a time to do their own self check-in and their own check-in with me. I wanted to let you know, and you probably already know this, as music teachers, we need to have the flexibility to potentially switch the order of what we're teaching during a lesson, depending on the mood of our students. For instance, if they come amped up from outdoor play, maybe we need to meet them where they are and do a movement activity. If they come right from rest time, Starting with a seated song would be the best activity to start with. And I just learned this is the ISO principle that is commonly used in music therapy sessions. The idea of the ISO principle is to use music to transition from the current mood to the desired mood. Gauging where your students are in their emotions can help you have a successful class time. It takes a while for students to be able to recognize their own emotions in a specific moment, but also, doesn't it take us some time as well? I would say, if you wanna try singing the How Are You Feeling song with your students, make sure that you do the prep work of explaining what those feelings are before you sing the song. Your students will not be able to recognize their own emotions right off the bat if they don't see many examples of it. Also, in terms of the terminology you use with your students, the older they get, the more complicated the emotions you can use with them. If they're in pre-K or kindergarten, start with the basics, such as happy, sad, mad, silly. As they get older, you can introduce more complex emotional terms like nervous, relaxed, frustrated. Just like we start with stick notation and then advance to graphic notation as they get older, the same works for the terminology of feelings we introduce to our students. According to the guidelines for milestones put out by the CDC, there are milestones for social-emotional as well as language, cognitive, and physical going from two months old up to age five. If you're interested in learning more, you can go to www.cdc.gov milestones. 
The website says that by the age of two, most children should be able to notice when others are hurt or upset, like pausing or looking sad when someone is crying. As early as 15 months, children should be clapping when they are excited, and as early as nine months old, they should be able to show several facial expressions like happy, sad, angry, and surprised. However, being able to actually label the emotions they see on others' faces tends to come quite a bit later. Studies have shown that most kids are first able to identify happy, shortly followed by sad and angry at around three years old. Whereas labeling emotions such as scared, surprised, or disgusted is more challenging and tends to develop around age five. These are milestones and abilities that our students without disabilities or students that have not faced traumas would exhibit. As practicing educators, we know that our students may have faced previous traumas, might not reach these milestones at the same time as their peers who haven't. But in our post-COVID teaching situations, we may not come across a student who hasn't seen some sort of trauma. So moving forward, all students might be a little delayed on these milestones. Only time and further research will tell. In terms of how self-awareness and self-regulation overlap, recognizing how you feel in the moment can sometimes be tricky. Sometimes students are just not exactly ready in their feelings to fully participate in our classes. As educators, we should know our students well enough to recognize when they aren't acting like their usual selves. I think sometimes what's happening is that my students feel powerless to change their actions. This can partly stem from not having the vocabulary they need to figure out how they currently are feeling and what they would want the new reality to be. When our students can label an emotion, they can create a distance between themselves and their experience that allows them to choose how they respond rather than simply reacting to challenges. I went to a training session recently at my school where the person leading the training reminded me that our students need to be in the right mindset to be physically, mentally, and emotionally ready to learn. After that training, I talked with my students about how their bodies should feel in order to be their best selves ready to learn. With my younger students, I think visuals are a great way to achieve this. That brings us to self-regulation strategies. Are you wondering what self-regulation should look like at different stages of development? Be aware that your students may develop at different speeds, that what I'm going to share is just a baseline. Self-regulation starts as early as infancy. Babies have some coping mechanisms if they're upset or tired, 
like sucking on their thumb or looking away from their caregivers if they need alone time. Toddlers usually have the ability to wait in some situations, but are still prone to tantrums if their emotions get too big for them to handle. By pre-K, they start to understand what's expected of them and will probably try to sit still or talk in a quiet voice if the situation calls for it, but not always with the best success. As kids grow through elementary school, they gain more control over their behaviors and emotional reactions, as well as seeing the perspective of others. For instance, they can learn to disagree with someone without starting an argument or fight. Why is learning self-regulation important? Well, it will help your students control impulses, become more independent, make friends and keep their focus and attention so they can successfully learn at school. As I said in the previous episode, my school practices responsive classroom. All responsive classrooms have a take a break area. Those areas are not for punishment, but a place for the students to reset themselves. Near my take a break area, I have an emotions chart where the students can evaluate how they are feeling in the moment. That way they can think about how to get themselves fully ready to participate in that class activity. There is also a little calming flip card that they can look at to help them with de-escalation strategies. For instance, hug a stuffy friend, take a deep breath, close your eyes, count to 10, stretch. Sometimes if my students are just too amped up to fully listen and participate, we will stop and sing the song, Breathe, by Stephanie Level. If you aren't familiar with Stephanie Level and all of her amazing resources under the name Music for Kiddos, you should definitely check her out. She is a music therapist and music educator, as well as a composer, and she has written several gems that I use in my classroom with my students. I highly recommend looking her up. I'm going to play a segment of her song, Breathe, for you now. It is used with permission from Stephanie. Just breathe, take a deep breath, and just breathe, breathe, just breathe, take a deep breath, and just breathe. one of the ways I have used Stephanie's song Breathe in my classroom. I noticed that when one of my kindergarten classes came in from PE, they were very vocally complaining that they were too tired and too overstimulated. Wait a second, they're kindergartners. Overstimulated was my word, not theirs, to start engaging in my class activities. So I reached out to their classroom teacher and asked, what she was doing for their transitions through their activities, because that seemed to be something that they were struggling with. 
She said that in the classroom, they were used to specific songs for each transition and that they knew the timing of each song and knew when they would end to be ready to start learning. So I gave my kindergartners the parameters of what I expected from them during this time. And they were calm bodies. They could be bananas laying on their tummies or seated like grapes. They needed to be near their designated music spots. And I asked that their voices be off, not even talking to me, because I wanted to use this time to reset myself as well. And so we started using this song as a transition. It took several reminders of what the expectations were but the students are becoming able to fully engage with me after they have this moment of calm and centering themselves throughout the song Breathe. As an aside, I do want to say they were already used to Stephanie's voice because I had already introduced their classroom teacher to Stephanie's song K-I-N-D or Kind and they had been using that song in their classroom as one of the transitions. So they were already used to her voice and her calming demeanor. And that really helped with creating a new way to reset the classroom atmosphere so that the students were ready to learn. favorite self-regulation activity I do centers around the book I Am a Peaceful Goldfish by Shoshana Chaim and Lori Joy Smith. The main character in the story comes across some internal struggles and learns through imaginative play how they can use deep breathing as a way to overcome obstacles. Here's my process on how I use it with my students. Now, this year I taught this lesson and I noticed a great time of year to use it was that time when kids just need a little bit of a reset right before spring break. Before I read the story to the students, we do exploratory movement based on some of the items that they will come across from the book. Along with the rhythm I play on the Tubano drum, the students move like items that they'll come across in the story. Bubbles like peaceful goldfish, stomping like elephants, spinning like pinwheels, swinging like wind chimes, blowing like dandelions, and growing like flowers. A little anecdote, one of my kindergarten classes was really enjoying the growing like flowers and a group of about five students got really excited and they created a beautiful piece where they created their own flower that grew from the floor all the way up. And then they were so excited that they asked me if they could teach that movement to the rest of the class. And so we had a beautiful moment where the entire class was taught from these five students, how to grow like flowers, creating a lovely addition to the story. 
So once the students have moved like these items, then they learn a refrain I created that goes along with the story. And the refrain, the words are taken exactly from the story. So all I added was a little melody to it. It goes like this. I take a slow, big breath in. Then I let out all my air. Then I read the book and the students sing the refrain whenever it happens during the story. After I've read the story with the students, we talk about how when we are upset, we can use the strategy of taking big breaths in and out as a way to help ourselves calm down. Or a big teacher word, de-escalate. As an extension activity for another class time, I show the students how the melody I've created can easily be played on barred percussion. We then read the book with the singing and the instrument playing. And then on a different day, I split the students into two groups, a group of movers and a group of instrument players. Now you know your students best. So I usually decide Depending on the class, I either pick the groups for each or I let them pick. If your students can handle it, giving them the ownership of either being a mover or an instrument player will get them more excited about the activity. Both groups get a chance to play and move to the story. And I generally split this lesson into segments between three and four class periods. Finally, a new favorite book I've recently found is called Out of a Jar by Deborah Marcero, M-A-R-C-E-R-O. The main character in the story, Llewellyn, does not like to feel scared, sad, angry, lonely. So he puts his feelings in a jar. But what happens when instead of dealing with his feelings, he just puts them in the jar, the jar ends up breaking and all of his feelings come pouring out. Once all those feelings are finally released, Llewellyn finds he's okay with them all combining, that it's better to face all of his feelings head on. I loved this story and knew it would be really great for my first graders and potentially older kindergarten classes towards the end of the school year. It could even be great for some second grade classes. But how do I tie in music with it? I reached out to someone in my local ORF chapter who's amazing at coming up with short melodies to books. Donna Bed is her name and she wrote this tune to go along with the story. It's accompanied by a Bordoon, which is an open fifth playing scale degrees one and five in a rhythmic drone. And I'm gonna sing the song for you now. It goes like this. Put it in a jar, shove it in the closet, just as long as they stay put. 
So I take that tune and I sing and play it throughout the story. The students then collaborate in groups of three to four to create a movement to go along with the song, making sure that on the words, they stay put, they end up in a seated position. This is more of an activity for your students to be collaborative and creative with their movement. I like to give the students opportunities to try out different things and work together on this activity. That story again was Out of a Jar by Deborah Marcero. These are just some ideas that have been successful in my classroom for teaching and practicing self-regulation and self-awareness to my students. Here are a few more books I'd like to mention that you could use for read-alouds that help students recognize feelings and emotions. In My Heart by Joe Witek. Breathing is Better by Christopher Willard. The Way I Feel by Janin Kane. Grumpy Monkey by Suzanne Lang. Little Monkey Calms Down by Michael Dahl. Feelings by Libby Walden. Your Name is a Song by Jamila Tompkins Bigelow. Mina's Mindful Moment by Tina Athade and Asa Gilland. Hot Cocoa Calm by Kira Willey. My Mouth is a Volcano by Julia Cook. The Struggle Bus by Julie Kuhn. Feel Your Feelings by Scott Stahl and Sarah E. Williams. Everything Will Be Okay by Anna Dudney and Judy Schnackner. 12 Days of Kindness by Irene Latham and Junghua Park. It's sung to the tune of The 12 Days of Christmas. So, The 12 Days of Kindness, super cute book. And The Lion in Me by Andrew Jordan Nance and Jim Dirk. Those are just a few you can check out and I'd like to challenge you to try and come up with a music lesson to go along with one of those books. I would be remiss to not remind you to support your local bookstore and ask them to order one of these books. They might even have them in stock or have a great idea of one that I didn't mention. You could even ask your local librarian to help you find a book about feelings to help your students. of episode three. In episode three, we'll be exploring social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. How our students interact and get along with others 
and the ability to make constructive and respectful choices about personal behavior and social interactions. These are the remaining three of the Castle 5 competencies. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey because everyone matters in the music room. Stay tuned for episode three.